at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Try Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, Happy Game Week. Happy Game Week. Happy Mets are good again, knock on wood. Shh. <laughs> Don't speak. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> well, no, I, I feel like there's at least a, it's not like a random streak. Like, Cespedes is back, so there's actually, like, a reason for it? Yeah, I mean, the injuries still, like, are terrifying, but now, oh, like, yeah. Reyes is playing well, and a couple other guys are starting to produce, so we'll see. I mean, they're two games back in the wild card, which seemed kind of ridiculous a couple weeks ago, so I, once, you know, I'll feel better about it once we get to, like, September and they keep on doing this, but it's been a nice, a nice couple, like, quietly uh, successful weeks for the Mets. Agreed. Positive things. Um, yeah, so positive things for Syracuse as well. Uh, we're going to start with some basketball, which is weird for uh, for this podcast in general, but especially in the off season for that sport. But Andrew White is coming. I feel like this is the second time we've done this this year of this like countdown to a player showing up, and uh, for the second time they have shown up. And now, uh, yeah, Andrew White will join Syracuse. Suddenly, the Orange go from maybe like a fringe top twenty-five team. Sorry, uh, uh, I, hope, I, have a, I have a Colgate uh, preview from Campus Insiders loaded on my computer, and uh, I kind of forgot that that entails uh, autoplay video, so. <laughs> Thanks, Internet. Yay, Internet. Yeah, so on that note, though uh, so Andrew White's coming. That's awesome. We actually have depth. We go from a fringe top 25 team to probably a top 10 to 15 team. We're suddenly very, very deep, um, probably about eight deep or so, um, and Beheim might actually use them all, which is nice. But, uh, yeah, Dan, your initial thoughts about White? Um, it was almost, like, relieved, just because this had stretched out for so long. Like, I remember when Andrew White uh, first kind of got in the transfer market, and I think it was probably May or June, um, and it was just such a long process, because, obviously, classes are starting, and uh, there was so much uh, about his, his, you know, this, I guess, third, really, recruitment. Um, and so many teams is coming in and out constantly. Miami, Michigan State, obviously VCU seemed to come in late, and then they were the, the hometown team, which is always scary, uh, especially because they are a very successful program as well. Uh, and then you had like the really awful back and forth between Colgate fans and Syracuse fans, which got kind of ugly at times. So I think it's just nice to have him in, in the fold. Um, he, you know, he really raises the expectations bar uh, for this team. I, I don't think we're being ridiculous by saying that Syracuse should be a top 10 to 15 team this year. Uh, based on this depth, assuming we know how to use it, um, which is going to be the most interesting thing, I think, because Beheim is so notorious for using, you know, maybe eight guys, but usually seven key guys. And, like, there are, there are not a lot of guys in this team. Uh, I mean, Matt Moyer is maybe the only one, and he has an injury he's dealing with now, which, you know, who knows if that necess- necessitates a red shirt or whatever, um, or if he just, you know, gets, like, the freshman year Chris Joseph, like, some minutes, you know, lobbed at him when, when there's a blowout. But, um there's a lot of the guys in this team who came to sit. Like, uh, Torian Thompson, obviously, expects to play. He was a huge recruit. Um, 
Dylan is going to play. He was a, a, a same thing, a transfer, grad transfer. Um, White, uh, Tyus Battle is not going to sit. He was a five-star recruit. He's a, maybe a one-and-done. So it's there's a lot of guys who are going to be fighting for some minutes. Um, I've, it feels like, I think the last time we had what feels like this much depth was 2012. You could even uh, argue that this team might be a little deeper, if not as good at the top. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what Beheim does and how he balances things out and how react because the good teams figure this out and uh and you know guys will be fine playing 25 minutes a game if it means you know, pushing for a title so it, it's gonna be exciting I'm, I'm very excited for this basketball season uh and white is really the i thought it was gonna be a good team anyway and white's really a capper because he he's a, a proven power five scorer he averaged almost 17 points in the big 10 last year so he he can play and this is a this, this group is really impressive yeah you know like least. you said 17 points on on a kind of also ran uh, Nebraska team that I think we all thought would have been better going into last year. But uh, in any case, yeah, the Big Ten's a tough league. Uh, I think him putting up those sorts of numbers that's better than, for the most part, any player put up for Syracuse last year, uh, Benajay aside. Um, and obviously he's gone. Uh, I think for the most part, you know, y- y- you look at White as a guy who replaces Malachi Richardson's production. Um, and it seems like White was a lot more consistent than Richardson was. That's not to take anything away from Malachi. I think we all appreciate what he did um, in his one year and wish him well um, you know, for the Sacramento Kings. But um, in general, this team goes from a, a squad that, yeah, like Gillen should be able to uh, put up quality numbers. You thought, okay, uh, Leiden's going to take a bit of a step. Chukwu seems like someone who can crash the boards better than anybody did last year. Um, they look like a team that was better than last year's squad. Now this team looks like a, one that is not only better than last year's squad, but probably light years better um, from a game-to-game basis and one that can suddenly go from you know maybe middle of the pack in the, the ACC to one that um, probably hangs around that top four-ish range, um, maybe top five um, with Duke, obviously, as the top team um, and one that is just raking in recruits at this point, an alarming rate, um, and then followed by some combination of North Carolina, Miami, uh, Louisville, I think, and, and then uh, SU. That that seemed like the the right top five or so, Dan. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty close uh, pretty close. To what I think we'll see. Uh, maybe we're being a little biased putting Syracuse in there, but I really don't think it's out of bounds. Like this team, there there are quality. There are eight legitimate quality players. Um, if not all proven, then you know they're either proven players at the college level or were four or five star blue chip recruits. Um, I guess Pascal Chukwu maybe isn't either of those, but he's seven foot two, and you have to assume you know after a year of playing in the system, um, there's a decent you know Bayham knows what he has there. So um, it, it's it, there's not a lot of college basketball teams that have that kind of depth and that kind of upside. Um, I, I also really like the uh, the Malachi comparison for White. I don't think they're like super similar stylistically, but I think their production is. And like you said, I mean, White was a senior last year, so he was very consistent where Malachi kind of ran hot and cold, but, you know, when he was hot, I think he was as good a scorer as there was in the country. So, you know, I don't think White's going to have a game where, like, you know, he was like what Malachi did to Virginia, but I think more often than not, he's going to get his double-digit points. He's going to be a, a contributor. He's going to be a reliable option. And there's just so many, like, there's so many guys in this team. It's not like he's going to uh, be the main focus of the defense at every given moment, uh, like he was at Nebraska. Um, he's going to get his shots, which is very exciting because he's a, a 40% shooter. So um, 
this team just a lot of options. I think the rotations are going to be fascinating. Um, it's it, this is really like a, a almost ideal group for Beheim to kind of do what he does with. Um, he just he can roll out so many different lineups and, and make so many different mismatches. And you could have a, a team with three or four deadly shooters on the floor. You could have a team that everyone's over six seven. You could have uh, a team that's just all about rim running with uh, Chukwu defending the uh, defending the post and and have you know guys spreading the floor and, and a super athletic lineup. Like there's just so many different options. Um, it I, I it, it doesn't worry me. I, I do wonder if this team will take a, a couple of games to find itself. Um, but when it clicks, and I think it will, I think this is going to be a really really fun group. I, I think that's uh, that's about as, as good as I could say it. Um... Dan, looking at the team kind of the same way we did um, on the site today and for those listening yesterday, um, what do you think is, is this team's starting lineup, knowing full well that, that Beheim will still play whoever he, he's going to play, even if they, they aren't in that, uh, that, that top five? It's really tough. Like, it's hard to imagine Tyler Lydon not starting. And yet, I almost think we might get that. Just and and he has like the Dion Waiters like you know starter off the bench role. Um, I, I'm gonna say it seems like Frank Howard starts at the point. Uh, I guess Battle could start there. Um, I feel really good about White's gonna start for sure. Um, I don't think he would have come otherwise. Um, and then I think you you either have you either have uh, Howard Battle and White or you have Battle White Leiden. Roberson and I think Roberson will start because he's a senior, and I think Coleman will start um, even if he doesn't play the most minutes. I, I think Beheim, we know how he is with his veterans. He, he gets those guys in to start the game, even if he, they don't stay there. So I feel pretty good about Roberson. I, I, I'm like very sure that Battle, White, Roberson, and Coleman start. Um, I, it's, the question is, do they go with a more pure point guard with Howard, or do they go, or even Dylan, I guess, or do they go with uh, Leiden? Uh, and have him in there right away. Yeah, I think I was talking about a similar kind of lineup rotation with, uh, with a buddy of mine today. Um, and I, I think what, what's fun in, about this group in particular is that, you know, for the first time you know, in, in recent SU history is that Beheim can actually play some matchups, and it's not just, you know, I mean, at least I hope it's not just like a, a very steady, you know, written-in-stone top five. But he, he can he can play you know if he wants to play small ball you know he can really trot out you know a uh, a Howard Gillen White Roberson uh, Coleman lineup maybe even if he wants to sub out Roberson for uh, for for Aladdin there if you really want to um, I think that if he wants to he he can even he can even look at a you know, maybe a, a Howard, a Howard Gillen, um, and then followed by a, a Leiden Roberson, um, you know, Coleman lineup. I mean, there's just so many different possibilities here. Uh, I mean, even if you wanted to go really, really big, uh, screw it. Like you could, you could. I mean, White six seven. So if you want to throw in, you know, a White. Leiden, Roberson, Coleman with, uh, you know, pick your poison at guard. Uh, this team suddenly has a ton of depth, has interchangeable depth, which is, which is really nice. 
um, and, and suddenly has a lot of uh, a lot of options and a lot of really fun combinations that that have them prepared for kind of any amount of opponents. I feel like you know last few years um, you had just again it was kind of whoever were the best five guys on the floor. You know maybe ch- uh, plug in a good six man. Um, and for the most part, yeah, you had you had who you had, and now suddenly we see a Syracuse team that is going to have scary depth, again, interchangeable depth, and, and a lot of different options that give them a lot of different looks, which is something we, again, have not seen in recent years. Yeah, I, I mean, you could even, like, you're, you were uh, going with the, all those different lineups. You could, you could actually even go uh, with something like uh, Dylan to battle White, uh, Thompson, and Leiden, and everyone on the floor can at least kind of shoot the three. And a lot of those, you know, a couple of those guys are, are really, really good three-point shooters. So it's just like, uh, I don't, I don't think that would be, you know, something they do all the time. But that'd be like a, almost like the college version of the death lineup that Golden State runs out, where you have you have Leiden playing the five, which he did. If it wasn't the best, but it was pretty capable in way more minutes than he probably should have had to. Um, throw that out there for five five minutes and have a have a team try to defend that, like. There's just so many, so many things. I'm very excited. I think it'll actually make the uh, the early season games pretty intriguing, just because you're going to see. I think you're going to see a lot of lineups early on, just so they can kind of see what works best and and what uh, what rotations have uh, chemistry. And um, it's it. There's also a chance they bomb some of these teams off the floor. So I'm I'm pretty pumped, especially after last year, which you know ended up being a really fun year out of nowhere, but was uh, really tough at times. Uh, this season. Um, it should. I, I have no doubt that it'll be a, a really fun ride the whole time. I, I'm about as excited for a Syracuse basketball season as uh, as I have been since probably 2012, 2013. So uh, definitely a good time to be orange, especially considering like in the last couple of years we've worried about all the NCAA stuff and everything else. And now all of a sudden, you know, this team has uh, a Final Four contender once again and coming off of Final Four. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'll mention Final Four. I, uh, I'm definitely, uh, definitely superstitious. Definitely scared of the possibilities. I mean, this is another one of those teams that I mean, th- this was a regular thing for several years in a row um, that could maybe start rolling. You know, ten, eleven, twelve, and zero, um, and that's against the difficultish schedule. Um, at least in name recognition. I mean, you look at. You know some of the teams on there um, in the non-conference schedule. I mean, you have Georgetown, you have St. John's, you have Wisconsin. Um, once again, you know, for the, for the second straight year, um, kind of a, a, some of your headliners. Um, I'm not even looking at the schedule right now, to be perfectly honest, and I'm not going to because I feel like that's uh, that's really just asking not only too much of us, but uh, but, but too much of fans that that really shouldn't need to dive in this deep this early but yeah it's a it's a tougher schedule um i don't think it's maybe as tough as last year's was by any means but yeah those are kind of your highlights um obviously the acc schedule is is always very very deep and uh it's pretty punishing and again not one of these uh not one of these things that uh that as you will take lightly but um, they're a team that could still, even against a tough schedule, and that's where you know you'll, you'll see how high they start. Maybe again, it's it's sitting around the, the the ten to fifteen mark, and then we'll see how far they can run. Um, but yeah, Syracuse is uh, 
is coming in with more promise um, into this season than they probably have in a few years because, as you recall, um, most of these SU teams um, have kind of come in with, with lower expectations in, in recent seasons versus what we saw probably from probably the last Final Four run uh, to maybe the three or four seasons before that. That was when you were suddenly looking at a perennial you know, top 10 to 15 again. Um, it'll be nice and, and, uh, and interesting to come back to that, especially, and this is a, you know, what, what Sean kind of brought up, um, kind of laughing at the NCAA on Monday. Um, you know, what do the penalties really do at the end of the year? At the end of the day, um, obviously they penalized our ability to, to get more recruits and, and help out maybe some of the guys, um, you know, lower on the ladder in terms of the depth chart. Um, but at the end of the day, what, 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 Dan, do you think really happened here, um, if, especially if Syracuse is able to trot out yet another uh, Final Four-type squad and, uh, and really bring it um, in, in, in almost hilariously rich fashion, um, you know, a- after, after the NCAA told them that you shouldn't you know, potentially be able to uh, bring that sort of talent um, to the roster year in and year out. Uh, it's interesting. It, 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 I mean, I think the the big things that happened were Raheem Christmas didn't get to play in a tournament his senior year. Uh, some walk-ons aren't going to get scholarships that would have. Um, and it forced Syracuse to really bear down on its uh, recruitment efforts. And that, fo- you know, meant focus on Torian Thompson. And they ended up getting him after a really prolonged recruitment. Uh, and because of the transfers of Ron Patterson and B.J. Johnson, which I don't think were totally necessitated by the scholarship restrictions, I just you know think they saw the writing on the walls and whatnot, and, and developed both them this year um, at LaSalle and uh, IUPUI. Um, but it you know made the it you know, open up the door for, for these guys uh, to come in, and you you have one and done. You know, because they're grad, they're grad transfers. You have these uh, one and done players that Bam may have even been more open to taking because of the scholarship restrictions, because they're not on the books forever. So um, I don't know that it it totally changed the way that he and the staff recruit, but uh, it might have just shifted things enough to to make all of this kind of come into uh, play at once. And obviously, it did nothing to uh, stare away recruits from coming to Syracuse. No, no, it did not. I think that's a. Uh... That's the thing that I think a lot of folks on the naysayer side might have been worried about. Um, truth be told, I feel like I'm much more of a naysayer um, in terms of football uh, than than basketball, and maybe that's because of what I, you know, and you know the the, the shit I had to see, <laughs> and uh, and and the things that I I had to I had to witness uh, on a on a weekly basis. Um, as a student uh, when I was there in football versus basketball where, yeah, the first couple of years were rough um, and then things got, got pretty bright in a hurry um, you know, with, with the, the six-overtime team and then obviously the West Johnson year, I think. Um, sure, I, I still have my moments uh, with both programs, but um, I think that I'm, I can very, very quickly talk myself into some things uh, with this basketball team and, and, and a lot of the past basketball teams, and that's, uh, that's, that's great to see, and it's great to see uh, kind of this early uh, 
that, uh, that we can have some fun and, and lighthearted conversations about basketball, it's a promise, um, and everything it could potentially do this year. And I'm excited for it. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I will say, again, knock furiously on wood, um, the, uh, the final four this year is in Phoenix. And that's, a, that's about as far west as, uh, as they'll go, at least right now. Um, who the hell knows? Once, uh, once the, the Los Angeles Rams get, uh, get started on their um, kind of indoor, outdoor-ish uh, stadium, it's supposed to be really nice. Uh, it's, uh, it's supposed to be nearby to, uh, to my location here in the, uh, the South Bay um, of Los Angeles. And that, uh, that gets me excited for both uh, nearby National Football League action as well as uh, potentially down the road, maybe even some uh, some Final Four. Be uh, that'd be really nice. I I, th- I think we'd all take a back-to-back Final Fours. Why not? Who wouldn't take a back-to-back Final Four? Um, I'm trying to think. Of the last team that that did it. I know I did not hmm. go about that. Um, it's probably some North Carolina team, if I had to guess. Did Kentucky has Kentucky done it under Calipari? I mean, they've been to a bunch. Yeah. I guess they would have had to because I think the uh, the Brandon Knight team made it, and then they won the year after, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Well, we'll 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 look that up. <laughs> One I'm pretty sure that's it, though. You know what? I'm not looking that up. Screw that, Dan. If the answer is North Carolina or Kentucky or some Michigan State team or Louisville, um, I don't care about any of those programs. Fair enough. And you shouldn't either. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, why don't we... Uh... Yeah, it is Kentucky, by the way, 2014-15. Damn it. And 2011-12. God damn uh, it. Anyway, <laughs> um... Dan, why don't we talk some beer now? That way we can just kind of throw around as much uh, match football as we want as we get to the uh, the second half of the podcast that will, again, decidedly be about not only Syracuse football, but Syracuse football versus Colgate, which uh, which is awesome because, again, we've uh, we've got some real real game action, which is which is awesome. For me, for you, and for everybody listening, that we actually get to talk about um, some real, uh, real outcomes, which is a first in quite some time. Very nice. Let's do it. All right. So, uh, spill the beans. What were you drinking in Vegas? Um, so I didn't get a chance to go to a lot of the the great beer bars. Uh, I will say that in the Hard Rock where we were staying, uh, there is a Goose Island pub. And there is just Goose Island everywhere. Like they just kind of own that whole that whole hotel. So I had a lot of Goose Island, as it turns out. Um, they had the three one twelve, which is one of my favorites. Uh, they had their summertime Kolsch. Uh, they had the Green Line, which I don't think I or um, the regular IPA. Obviously, is a, is a nice standard. Uh, they had the Bourbon County on on uh, bottle, which is great. Uh, and I've only the second or third time I've had that. Um, didn't have a chance to try all the different large formats because they were like. 50 bucks a couple of them and I wasn't about to spend that for uh for Deuce Island but uh overall that was probably the focus uh and then otherwise just you know bad cheap vodka drinks on the casino floor yay you checked into none of them I know I was really bad about that <laughs> Dan how are we supposed to direct the readers to your drinking history 
they will have to listen to the podcast and then go look them up themselves. Fine, fine, fine. All right. <laughs> um, I uh, I didn't drink a ton last weekend, uh, if only because uh, my roommates from Syracuse are going to be out here for Labor Day, and I decided that uh, that my liver probably needed to breathe. That's fair. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to have like a. That might be me. Yeah, that might be me this weekend, uh, coming off of the the Vegas shenanigans and then going into my birthday the weekend after. I might just take this weekend off and punt on it. I mean, let's not let's not pretend that I uh, that I didn't drink. We all know that fair enough. Happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. What did I uh, What did I drink? In the uh, in the last week, I uh, I took a look at uh, Stone's twentieth anniversary. Uh, Citricato IPA. Um, for those not familiar with the uh, the area around Stone, the uh, Citricato Parkway is how you get in over there. That's uh, that's where the the beer the uh, brewery is located. And I'd have to say that while I thought it was a uh, a decent beer um, and, and, and a gorgeously smelling beer, I had far too high expectations um, for it. Um, as an IPA, but you know, good. I always love Stone. I think a lot of people will give a lot, of, a lot of credit for what Stone's done for the beer community and and the fact that they are staunchly independent um, and, and, and brazenly um, dedicated to uh, to some hoppy IPAs. Uh, they 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 do they do understand that. By the while they're not the most uh, you know boisterously loud. Flavor-wise, they still are as a brewery. I enjoy them. I think it's great to to crack open a Stone IPA every so often. And uh, yeah, that was uh, was one of the beers I had. Uh, the breweries, uh, Saison. It was a uh, they use basically took a, uh, a a Saison recipe, a Belgian Saison recipe, but subbed in German hops, which uh, which has its its fun elements there. Um, grabbed a uh, Frambulus from Brewery as well Grabbed a bottle of Supplication uh, From Russian River That uh, that wasn't as good as some past bottles uh, And I know I always I'll rave about Supplication As will most of the beer community um, and I don't know, for some reason it just didn't hit for me um, That would have been the end Of my drinking, if not For A little, uh, little Julius from uh, from Treehouse, you know the, uh, the East Coast beer community always loves their uh, their kind of hazy IPAs. They're, they're juicy, uh, they're juicy and hazy IPAs, and uh, I was able to grab one of those and really enjoyed it. So thank you to Nick, a buddy of mine, who sent that out uh, my way. So again, there's your week of drinking. I will have a bunch more to report next week. We uh, now we uh, we go henceforth to uh, to some Syracuse football. Which uh, Dan, what has uh, what has us excited this week? Who is our uh, who is our week one opponent? I will let you do the honors. Our week one opponent is the Colgate Raiders. Who do? Yes, but we will. Hopefully, eat what even or actually take the series lead against because 
apparently Colgate just destroyed us in the first half of the 20th century. Yeah, things are rough. I, uh, you would you would have thought we would have evened this thing out by now, but um, for a very long time, actually, uh, SU didn't bother uh, scheduling FCS teams. The uh, the 1978 um, FCS split with uh, FBS, which is where we are, for those that uh, that are willfully ignorant of college football. Um, we didn't bother playing FCS schools for, for, for quite a bit. Um, that changed in the last decade or so, and here we are. We, uh, we're playing the Colgate Raiders for the second or third time since the split, so there was a little bit of an absence, but yeah, you know what? It makes too much sense. It makes too much sense to uh, attack on a, a, a hopeful win, and it's nice to play... Uh, a local school that we have some uh, some history with, and I'm always a big fan of scheduling a uh, an easier team from those ranks, both to help local schools as well as to hopefully help our own resume, uh, which is always nice. And scheduling wins, scheduling wins is always good when you uh, you have them in short supply as a program that might have struggled in recent years. And also plays in a not only difficult conference, and the Atlantic Coast Conference, but also um, as a team that that plays in a very difficult division in the Atlantic, um, as we discussed last week. The Atlantic Division is filled not only with your your, your typical Florida State and Clemson, um, but also you you know your Louisville's that uh. That aren't really uh, a walk in the park. You've got a Boston College team that, hey, whatever. Yeah, maybe you're good sometimes. Um, and then um, we've got Pitt, who might be good, should be good, based on talent, based on talent alone. Um, and then you've got your, uh, your Virginia Tech crossover, among some other teams. So, yeah. And then Syracuse obviously doesn't know how to schedule um, in a way that um, makes things easy. Um, in this case, uh, while we did kind of sign ourselves up for this Notre Dame game before we came to the ACC, if memory serves, um, yeah, we got Notre Dame. So tough schedule, but in week one, an FCS team that should hopefully, once again, help out the resume. Dan, what uh, what do you think we're, we're going to see? Um, I guess first from Syracuse in Game 1, and then maybe we wait into a little bit of Colgate um, because, you know, to be honest, while uh, we're going to be able to speak to them um, in some sort of educated fashion, um, I, I don't necessarily think that that many fans going in um, are going to be able to... to really say a ton about about an FCS team uh, and, and I mean I think that goes for any any uh, FBS squad facing an FCS foe in week one yeah I mean there's there's just a lot of there's very limited information about a lot of these teams especially Colgate who is not uh, like a super known quantity at that level um, obviously they are they should be pretty good this year um, but they're not like NDSU or anything um, 
on the Syracuse side, I mean, it's it's the first game of the Dino Babers era, which is very exciting for all of us. Um, I think the thing that we should expect to see is an offense, which is uh, a vast departure from recent Syracuse football history. Um, I don't know that the offense will be super in tune or like what at what level they're going to hit, but uh, they should be able to have their way with Colgate's defense, no matter how good it is. It's still an FCS team. It is still one that, you know, Syracuse has not lost an FCS in its history yet. Um, and hopefully this, that doesn't change this year, although Colgate is pretty capable. Um, I, I think most of what people are going to focus on is uh, what Syracuse looks like, because while we have an idea, like you can go watch Bowling Green from the last couple of years, you know what the offense looks like. Um, it's very. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do with the players uh, that they're inheriting and, and who fills what roles. And you have all these position changes. And you have Eric Dungy uh, adapting to his new offense when he was very successful in last year's, um, despite last year's being very limited in a lot of ways. Uh, so I, I think most of the uh, focus for Syracuse fans will understandably be on Syracuse and not necessarily the mashup itself. Um, because, you know, there are some nice players at Colgate, uh, which we'll go over. Um, they're expected to be a top, they're a top 25 preseason team and at the FCS level. They have a trouble all-Patriot League type players. Uh, but the, the story here is Dino Babers' first game, as it should be. Indeed. Um, you know, and obviously we went over the full roster um, preview last week, which was awesome. Always nice to go down the entire depth chart, um, chat about uh, maybe some of the lesser-known quantities. And again, you know, kind of the only time that we really get to to dive into the roster as much as we'd like to but for this game um we get to preview some of these guys um and you know what the uh the the depth chart showed up on uh on monday which was awesome it was nice to nice to see that um because it allows us to for the first time i think at least for Dino Babers, maybe um, see kind of uh, what what he sees in these players. Um, you know, we, we saw a little bit of that in uh, in spring ball, but you know, after seeing them in spring and now seeing them for for a full a bit of a summer camp, um, we saw a two deep from Dino Babers that uh, that brings some things that were known. Um, obviously, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're Eric Dungy's, um, you're Steve Ishmael's, um, and some of the other guys, um, to maybe some of the more surprising, um, things that went down, um, and that is, you know, your, your, your Chris Slayton's at defensive end, uh, your, your, your freshman, uh, Kendall Coleman at defensive end, um, and then... I don't know, Dan. What uh, what else surprised you? I'm just kind of I'm just kind of glancing around the depth chart. Uh, what what else surprised you um, in, in terms of what uh, and 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 where Dino Babers kind of uh, kind of sorted around these guys? Um, I think for me the biggest surprises were how the uh, tackle position shook out. Um, I know we went over the offensive line last week, and you know it's kind of a what, it's probably the, the biggest unknown on the, uh, at least in terms of um, personnel on the offensive side. Uh, and you have Cody uh, Conway winning the job as a, as a sophomore at left tackle, which I think is a good sign. Um, it would have been very easy to uh, rely on a more veteran player, but I think uh, 
it should probably be taken as you know Conway beat out someone for the job, and that's a good thing because if he if he holds it down, I mean that's that's a three year starter, so that, that'd be great. And then you have Jamar McLaster uh, beating out Michael Laster at right tackle. Uh, I know we talked about Laster last week uh, at fair length. Um, you know he had some decent moments last year, but you know he also had some some times where he you know definitely got beat pretty bad. Uh, McLaster sits seven, uh, three twenty eight has. Uh, the physical tools, um, and if he is a quality right tackle, uh, this line looks, starts to look a lot better um, because you know we talked we talked about Amari Palmer and, and Jason Emmerich kind of being the the two uh, rock solid redshirt seniors. Uh, not worried about them. Uh, Aaron Roberts coming in as a third year player, redshirt sophomore at left guard. Uh, not as worried about him, um, but having Conway in there does make me feel a little better. Just because I, I think the coach the coach is putting him in at left tackle, uh, kind of shows that they have uh, some belief in his abilities, and then McLoster obviously sliding in with a bit of an upset over Laster, although I think that was probably a pretty close race throughout. Um, and then you also have Cam, Cam McPherson uh, winning the starting tight end job, which is uh, kind of an interesting storyline. Obviously, I don't know how much tight end we end up seeing in this offense, but uh, if he's out there, you know, he'll be the guy, and uh, it's cool to keep the McPherson family legacy rolling here. Yeah, I mean... We saw McPherson um, up at the top, um, I believe, in spring ball too. Um, if, if yeah, he was yet. he was starting throughout. Yeah, he was, and uh, you know, I, I think we might see him up at the top for a lot of time. But um, one guy that uh, that I would assume, based on the switch over, um, well, switch back. From the defensive end spot, um, Dunkelberger. I feel like Dunk ends up finding his way um, into a few more snaps. I know we don't really know what we're getting in him from a tight end perspective, but um, I think Dunkelberger is supposed to be um, maybe your your most athletic uh, tight end, but. Um, most athletic tight end doesn't necessarily always fit with uh, with Dino Babers' offense, and that's where uh, that's where Kendall Moore, who who you know, knock on wood, hopefully he's healthy. It seems like he uh, he's been a little more healthy, at least from what you've seen in summer. Um, it seems like Kendall Moore would be maybe a little bit of a better fit. Um, from a blocking standpoint, as we know, he's played at both offensive line and tight end throughout his time in his career um, at Syracuse, and I would uh, I would expect Kendall Moore to, to mix it up a little bit um, more, no pun intended, um, since he can and will be a blocker. But uh, the one player, if you jump up one spot on the depth chart, that I think you know, Dan, I know we were talking about a little bit last week you know a guy that hey based on summer could potentially start um, or at least see it a, a, a lot of snaps and lo and behold uh, there he is Amba Etatawo and now uh, we even have a, uh, an extensive uh, pronunciation guide for him but uh, Amba seems like a guy who will be able to work the sideline um, in a similar fashion to Steve Ishmael. It seems like he has a lot of speed. 
seems like he his uh, his experience even in a different offense and on a different team um, again still will help him out um, Dan um, would would you, would you think that he's a surprise necessarily or is he more of just a uh, a guy that we kind of expected to come on um, and 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 you know lo and behold there he is um i'm not just because we've gotten pretty good reviews on him uh throughout camp um but i mean it it was hard to really gauge what he was going to be when we got him from maryland because uh you know he had good he had really good explosion numbers he had high uh yards per catch um but their their quarterback situation has been pretty rough uh throughout his tenure there so there's a decent chance he's kind of a diamond in the rough um uh, and I, I think that this, you know, the, the receiving group looked pretty decent without him. And now with him, if he truly is a, a good number two option across from Steve Ishmael, um, obviously with guys like Philip and Esteem sharing the same uh, spot in the depth chart in the slot, um, it definitely adds a nice dimension to the offense, especially because a guy like Alvin Cornelius, who uh, I know we were high on for a while and just, you know, hasn't quite panned out to the consistent player that we, we probably thought he would be after the end of the uh, 2013 season. Um it's good to have uh, another legitimate option that we can go to. Um, and everything we've, we've read and, and heard from uh, his time on campus has been pretty good. So uh, I'm, I'm, like we said last week, I'm pretty excited for this receiving core, uh, considering, you know, you have those four guys who all seem like we know Ishmael is, is could be a top line receiver. We know what uh, Brisley can do. Uh, we know what Herb can do as a football player. I don't know about receiver, but I, I trust that they're getting the most out of him there. Um, add, Edatao into that group, and uh, you have you have some depth, which is cool. Yeah, uh, and again, you know, we uh, we see a little bit of that depth mixing it up again. You know, uh, I think Baber said that uh, that for the most part, it was it's not as if esteem has been demoted. It was just that they had a limited amount of lines they could use, and uh, and there they are. Um, moving over to the defensive side. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Slayton was a little bit of a surprise um, for some, but uh, I think a lot of that just goes into you know you know sometimes we'll see a bigger lineup. Um, I, I, I think some of Pickard's um, move down, as some might have said, might have been a little bit of an ankle tweak. Um, that just has him uh, shifting down to the second slot. And again, if there is uh, if there's one week out of any that you'll uh, you'll see a guy with maybe a uh, a slight injury or even just a, a favoring, um, maybe uh, either either take a seat or just maybe play a few limited snaps. It's going to be that week one matchup with an FCS team. Um, Yeah, shoot, Dan. If there's any uh, anything you else you uh, you had to add on at least the the, the defensive line front, which uh, which had some, I think, uh, actually, yeah, yeah, maybe the most surprises out of all of them, but none that are really earth shattering, just the same. Yeah, I, I think it's just interesting and notable that like if you had asked us probably the day before this came out, 
who the two starting defensive ends would be, we probably would have said Jake Picard and probably uh, Dijon Wilson. And there they are at the two uh, second lines. And obviously, like you said, Picard might be more of a an injury thing than anything else. Um, but I guess, you know, you can read it as a good sign that someone like Coleman came on as a freshman and Chris Slayton uh, was at least enough to challenge there. And, and even if the, the ankle injury necess- necessitated it, you know, they feel comfortable sliding in there at the number one spot uh, against Colgate or not. So, um, yeah, I mean, defensive end is definitely where we still have the most depth issues. But uh, it's, uh, you know, even if you don't want to say it's a good sign, that's fair. I think it's, it's notable that those are where the two biggest surprises in terms of uh, number one spots are um, because we, we you know thought we had maybe three or four guys that could play their total and we have two guys on the, the second line who we both expect to be contributors so that's that's interesting I, I'm not going to like reach and say it's good because that might be kind of spinning it too positively but uh, there's a chance it is yeah no absolutely um, and I guess looking around a little bit more and I think then we can uh we can shift our focus over to Colgate, who I haven't found a depth chart necessarily. Maybe you have, but there's a roster of uh, some pretty talented guys. I mean, again, a, uh, an FCS top 25 squad. But uh, I think if there's the one, uh, the one other thing that we might want to go with a little bit is uh, the defensive end position. And y- you see a Kendall Coleman, who... Uh, who Dino Baber seemed to talk quite a bit about and seems to be very fond of, at least uh, from, from his work ethic and, and what he was able to do in a very limited amount of time on campus so far. Um, I think Coleman's starting is surprising, but I think we were going to see a ton of him anyway, um, at least from what we all would have guessed. Um, so yeah, I think we might be able to wrap up the... Uh, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the SU depth chart there. Um, if there's one player that uh, on the Colgate side that if uh, if SU fans don't know already, they will soon. Uh, Jake Melville, um, potential potential um, standout. And probably um, the best player on the Colgate roster, um, Dan. Uh, is, is there anything that you think? Um, <clears throat> I guess. Excuse me. Uh, looking at the Colgate roster from a sense of first, uh, maybe what they might be able to do um, to damage SU and, and its weaknesses. Is there something off the top of your head? That even a team like Colgate, again, FCS, um, so not going to be an FBS um, talent level squad. Is there, are there a couple things um, that you see them being able to do um, just off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, I think when, whenever you have uh, and one of the, you know, probably the opponent's best player being their quarterback, um, and a guy who can hurt you with their arm and their legs. Uh, it is a bit scary. We, you know, I think the worst case scenario is Melville kind of going off and having a game similar to uh, the one that uh, Villanova's quarterback had a couple years ago, where he absolutely gashed SU. Um, I don't remember his name, unfortunately for him. But uh, Melville, you know, he he's uh, he ran for 
uh, looked like over a thousand yards last year. He threw for over uh, twenty five hundred. Um, probably even more dangerous as a runner than a passer. You know, he was only a fifty five percent completion guy. Um, but he is definitely a guy who looks like he can gash a defense. You uh, and then you have uh, a guy like James Holland, the running back, who had seven hundred thirty yards, sixteen touchdowns. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely. Uh, not the best thing when when you can point to a quarterback running back combo uh, out of your FCS opponent and say those are like the two best guys, um, but that's what we're dealing with. Hopefully, things do, do go better than they did in that Villanova game, though, uh, which was obviously way too close for comfort. Um, but like you said, uh, there's going to be a big talent gap. Um, you know, even even with the down years, Syracuse recruited you know about as well as it as it has been over the last decade under Scott Schaefer. So there there are you know plenty of legitimate power five players on this roster. Colgate does not have very many of those. Um, the steam is going to be the big question. How, how quickly does Syracuse put out a decent product in the Dino Babers mold? Does it, you know, we don't expect it to be a, you know, perfectly polished product in week one, but is it good enough to beat a, a good football team? Even one that is playing with the talent gap that we've referenced. Um, I tend to think so, uh, but anything can happen. And hopefully, uh, whatever happens does not get too overblown. Whether it's like a forty-point win or a, you know, three-point win or God forbid a loss. Yeah, and I think the, the the thing that a lot of people have to keep in mind. I know we talked about it a little bit last week. Is uh, you know, no overreactions, please. Uh, on week one, uh, unless there's a loss. In that case, sure, whatever. Panic. I know we might uh, just a little bit. Um, Especially with a, uh, again, it's an FCS squad. Um, I, I think, you know, where we might see some little surprising wrinkles is the fact that, yeah, you know, Babers, this offense, not, not, not uh, going to look 100%. And that's not because of an injuries thing. That's by and large um, because of a... Uh, a, a team and a system that, you know, not fully baked. I'd say about 75% there right now, maybe, maybe 85. Um, and from a playbook standpoint, um, I know obviously they understand the playbook, they've run the playbook, um, but a lot of it is just going to be because, yeah, you know, Babers doesn't want to give up um, all the secrets. Um, that's, I think, in part because of why we didn't see a ton of, of the team um, and, and what the scheme is going to be. You know, you just weren't going to see a lot of that revealed um, throughout the summer. But um, with Louisville coming into town the following week, you just yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna be able to spring a surprise um, on on Bobby Petrino's squad and on the Louisville team that is going to be in the top twenty five, um, you're not going to be able to do it if you're going to reveal a lot of that offense in week one. Um, I don't even know if he'll reveal the entire offense in week two. I really think it just depends on how uh, how quickly things uh, things start to look up um, against Louisville. And again, we're, we're not going to start previewing that game just yet. But um, I, I think we'll see a team that should still be able to win by uh, four. Yeah, why not? Four touchdowns. Um, I think we, we can get a little bit into Predictionville. Um, without getting into specifics, you know, who knows how long the starters are in, who knows how well they start, 
But uh, Dan, what do you think? You th- you're thinking four touchdowns as a as an estimate, and that's not to hate on Babers. It's not to put cast out, um, but it's to say that maybe perhaps um, the team kind of puts its foot halfway on the gas throughout the game just to get the job done and then uh, then get ready for a much, 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 much more difficult opponent in Week 2. Um, I'm actually going to even be a little less... Uh, I wouldn't say less optimistic. I'm going to be a little less uh, sure on Syracuse winning that that easily. I well, think Colgate's pretty good. Less optimistic than John. I know. That's not a thing. <laughs> just disloyal and whatnot. I'm going to take Syracuse by 17. Um, I think it'll be fairly close uh, into the third quarter. I think I don't think Colgate will ever like super challenge, but I think uh, it'll be one that we probably have to at least keep our attention on until maybe the mid third quarter, and then maybe Syracuse pulls away. Um, I just think Colgate, you know, they have a lot of guys back. They're experienced. They're obviously a good team. They're ranked. Syracuse with the new system, Kingston will be worked out. Uh, Baber is constant since like day one, basically telling us, you know, to, to keep patient and let this thing build. So I'm not going to pick them to totally blow out a top 25 FCS team in game one. Uh, hopefully when we play our FCS team in year two, then, you know, we throw up 65 on the board and, you know, everyone goes crazy. This year, I think it's going to be a little more tempered. Hey, uh, Brent, uh, this is uh, Craig from Liverpool. And uh, I got to say, uh, didn't really love it so week one. Um, left, uh, left around halftime, had, uh, had to pack the car to head up to the Thousand Islands, and, uh, did not love what I saw. You know, I really think we should have stayed with Schaefer. <laughs> were there, were there leaves to be raked, though? That's the, that's the major question. No leaves yet. It's way too hot. It's a, it's a way too hot 78 degrees here in upstate New York. <laughs> Far too long, me and a family had to uh, head out immediately, and, uh, and I did not, did not, did not love what I saw from this team. Uh, I, uh, I stand casually near Shaker. <laughs> oh, God. Are we going to do this every podcast now? <laughs> it really depends on what happens in week one. Fair enough. Maybe we'll even bring Brent on eventually and see if he can uh, give us a, a collection of his uh, his favorite callers. I actually thought you actually sounded kind of like Brent doing a uh, a caller, so that was pretty good. I feel like my radio delivery is similar-ish, at least from a voice standpoint, to Brent to begin with. So, He's really just your inspiration. There you go. <laughs> Brent Axe is an absolute podcast. Uh, we love you, Brent. We really do. That was that was a complete knock on your on, on the the eventual callers who will who will want uh, want Dino Babers fired for one reason or another. Uh, when we lose, assuming we lose to Louisville, uh, even if it, and it could be really bad, I, I don't think it's going to be super bad. But you know, there there's obviously the potential there because Louisville's quite good. Uh, I expect the takes to just be so good, blazing hot. How, how dare this team in their second game under a, a new coach with a completely different system uh, lose to a top 25 team by any margin? Roll damn babers. Um, all right. So now that we both think that SU is going to win, um, Dan, is there anything else that, that you would want to touch on here before we roll into uh, a what should be a very fun Friday night? 
Um, the only thing I want to add is that looking at the depth chart before, our backup punter's name is Nolan Cooney. So yes, Cooney there legacy. is another Cooney. There is another Cooney in Syracuse. He's a freshman, uh, and a I very hope that inspiring if, story actually. Yes, and I hope and should he ever play, and I hope it doesn't mean that uh, Sterling Hoffrichter is not uh, up to the billing or injured. But should Nolan Cooney ever play, I I just hope. I, I legitimately hope that they botch his name, just because it would be in keeping with history and tradition. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, if, if he ever plays, I'm writing another Cooney Legacy post, despite the fact you all told me not to. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan Cooney had a coffin corner punt today. What does this do to Trevor Cooney's legacy at Syracuse? <laughs> does this mean that he actually hit the layup against Michigan? I mean, we do have to, we have to start Nolan Cooney against Notre Dame, right? Oh, without a doubt. The Irish killer. <laughs> He's going to just kill so many punts inside the five. Oh, God. All right. Oh, actually, speaking of punters, while we're still here, uh, Riley Dixon. Right. Officially the Denver Broncos punter and soon-to-be quarterback. Amazing. So good. I'm so happy for him, and I'm so happy that we can continue to spread the good word of Riley Dixon into Sundays. How amazing. That's, this is so cool. Like, that's such an underratedly cool thing that happened today. He's easily going to be the, like, he's going to be among the most notable SU grads in the NFL this year. Probably top three. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Freeney's on a team. Uh, Pugh is obviously a starter still, uh, and Defender of America. For now. And, uh, <laughs> well, for now, yeah. The and, Giants' uh, offensive line's not looking great. Gotta, gotta stay. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, Riley Dixon, boom and punts. For a team that is probably going to punt a lot because their defense is uh, is quite good and their quarterback is Trevor Simeon. <laughs> Trevor Simeon, who is who you might remember from a 2012 game against Syracuse, and a weird Heisman campaign. Yeah, and uh, and again, the fact that this this does open the door for for Riley Riley Dixon will throw a pass this year. Mark my words. Oh, uh, also another special teams note: since you brought up Riley Dixon throwing a pass, our holder is Zach Mahoney. Woo! So, trip yeah. play potential. Is out there Fake for sure. We're doing this. So excited, as am I. Um, all right, uh, this was a uh, a very late podcast for Dan, a uh, sort of late podcast for me. Uh, but yeah, Dan, thank you for uh, for auctioning off your sanity for us for an hour. I'm gonna go to sleep, and we uh, don't be late to work tomorrow because I am running on about 17 hours of sleep over the last five days. Yeah. Thanks, Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for tuning in to Troy Noons, an absolute podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, or wherever else you may listen to us. And for the first time this season, in earnest, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. 
Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.